It's been a while since our last review episode, but we have three games for you today. We have the jazz themed Trick Taker from Sashi and Sashi, Take the A Chord 2nd Edition. We have the dice rolling trick taking game, Lamb Dice. And finally, we have a Push Your Luck Dice game from Reiner Knizia, Gang of Dice. The first two games we are talking about today are both from Japan, and the video reviews are up on our YouTube channel. So if you're not already subscribed to us over there and following us over there, I will leave a link to those in the description below. And if you want to follow us over there, we would appreciate it. We are on the road to 500 subscribers on our YouTube channel, hoping to get there by my birthday in mid October. So now let's get into our games for the day, and let's start with Take the A Chord 2nd Edition. Take the A Chord, like I said, is a jazz themed trick taker, and the core of it is slightly a must follow and slightly a may follow game. What I mean by that is that the first player might play something like a red A. The A will symbolize the chord, and the red will symbolize the suit. Let's say that the starting player plays a red A. Then, if you have a red card, then you have to play it. But starting from the second player, you can also choose to play a chord that somebody before you has played. And I'll explain in a moment what that does. So, that's the must follow part of it. But if you don't have a red in your hand, but you do have a chord that somebody before you has played, so let's say the first player plays a red A, the second player plays a red G, you don't have a red, but you do have a G, you don't actually have to play it. Hence the may follow aspect of the game. Now, what happens if you do end up playing the same chord that somebody before you has played is you will do a key change. Now, Let me explain why what a key change is and kind of why it's important. So, the way that you actually win the trick is by playing as close to the dominant chord as possible. So, there will be a ring in the middle of the circle that will note what the dominant chord is for that trick. So, let's say that the dominant chord is an A. The closer you are to an A in clockwise fashion, so A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so maybe an A is the strongest, B is the second strongest, C is the Third strongest, and so on. The closest player to the dominant chord will win, with the tiebreaker being whoever is in the lead suit. Now, maybe you're sitting there with a bunch of G's in your hand, meaning that you have all weak cards at the moment. So you definitely want to change what the dominant chord is. And that is why you would do a key change. By matching the same chord that somebody before you has played, starting from the following trick, then The dominant chord becomes that matched chord. So let's say, like an example before, let's say that the first player starts with a red A. But instead, let's say that the second player goes with a red D. You're looking at your hand and ah, you can play a D. So that's what you do. You play a D and then the trick will finish as normal. And let's say that the dominant chord is the A. So the person who played closest to an A will win. But Starting from the following trick, because you initiated the key change, you will start the next trick and the dominant chord will become a D. Which, hey, for you that has more chords at the end of the chord alphabet, that is much better for you because it means that your hand is now much stronger. 
The second thing that a key change can do based on the timing is instead called an improvisation. If the last player matches the chord played by the first player, then that instead does an improvisation. And what this means is that that trick, everybody puts their cards upside down and you start the trick again. And next time it's going to be double or nothing. And you can do this a third time for triple or nothing. Whoever wins that trick then will get the double or triple the amount of trick tokens. And then whoever wins the improvisation also gets plus 15 points at the end of the round. And let's talk about the end of the round scoring. You will consult the table that is based on how many players you are playing with in that game. And based on the amount of trick tokens that you won, you will get different amounts of points. And this is somewhat thematic because if you won zero tricks, well, you didn't contribute to the band, so you get zero points. But if you hogged the spotlight and won way too many tricks, you were going to lose a bunch of points. You'll play a few rounds of this, and at the end of the last round, whoever has the most points wins. Now, after our video review was posted, I had a couple of people message me and talk about that out of all of the Sashi and Sashi game catalog, this one just seems the most obtuse. And I definitely have to agree, it is so hard to give a one-sentence explanation, a one-sentence selling point of why you play this game. The elevator pitch for this, I mean, it just took me four minutes to explain to you what this game even is and how everything works because there's so many mechanics and so many moving parts that are happening in this game. So I can definitely see the intimidation. And I think that that is partly why you'll see other games from Sashi and Sashi like Let's Make a Bus Route and Wind the Film get redone internationally for new audiences, whereas Take the Acord, which was the first published game by Sashi and Sashi, it keeps getting passed over. And I have to have a feeling that that is because it is tough to give an elevator pitch for, and it's not because of the gameplay, because the gameplay itself is very solid. It is a good trick taker that really shows that you can have some theme in a trick-taking game. I said this in the video review, but I want to reiterate it here that there is a confidence that Sashi and Sashi are showing here by coming out with a second edition a decade later. And usually when you see a second edition, there's a revamp of the rules, a rebalancing, or things like that. You know, some are completely different. And yet, Sashi and Sashi, with the second edition of Take the Acord, have kept the three and four player rules exactly the same. All they have done with the second edition is make the components bigger and add in a two-player variant. And that just shows how confident they are in their design. The design is solid and doesn't need much tweaking. And I have to agree, the game at four is solid, and note that I didn't really talk about three there, but... I think at four, it is a really fun game. I think that the new two-player variant is really, really good. When you're playing this, I think that you can gain an appreciation for the design of it and how well each part is working well together. At first, it might be a little bit of, okay, wait, okay, I must follow this and I may follow this. And then you add in the key changes and then you add in the table that you want to win how many tricks again this round? It can be a little bit on your first round, but by the end of the game, you will have a fundamental understanding of the game and how it works, and I think an appreciation for the design. But I say that, and again, I really am recommending this, and I'll give it a star rating at the end of this, but 
I think that where this game lies in a collection is in a next step. Now, I'm not saying that because I don't think somebody that's new to trick-taking like won't understand it or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that to get the best out of this game, you should probably play it with people who already have experience with trick-taking. And I say that because there are individual mechanics that by themselves are easy to grasp. If you were to tell me, okay, the chords themselves, you will change based on matching somebody else's chord. Okay, that by itself is easy to understand. Then you add in, okay, the must follow and sometimes the may follow based on what's going on. Okay, got that. Or the you just tell me by itself that, hey, you want to watch how many tricks you're winning because if you win too many tricks or you win three and not four tricks, then you lose points instead of gaining points. Like every one of those individually makes sense, but you put them all together and it can be a bit overwhelming. When I have played this game with new people to trick-taking or somebody who at least doesn't have too much experience with trick-taking, they enjoyed the game a little bit. They said, oh, that, that was pretty good, but they never really asked to play it again. Whereas when I played this with people who do have experience with trick-taking, who have experience with those mechanisms so that they didn't have to learn it fresh, they enjoyed the game much, much more. And that is why I recommend it for you as kind of that next step and not an introductory trick-taker. And I definitely recommend playing this after Boast or Nothing because there are some similarities there. There's that changing dominant suit that might happen. There's that kind of hand management thing of you're trying to figure out which tricks you want to win and which ones you want to lose. And so if you were to lead into it with Boast or Nothing and then later on once the new player gets the hang of Boast or Nothing, then you go in to take the A chord, then I think that's a nice ramp up into this game. Now, the other question is, if you already have the first edition, which I know some of you definitely do, is it worth the upgrade to the second edition? Because it doesn't come cheap. The second edition comes in at $30 or $35, depending on where you can find it. And that's not including the import fee. And it basically boils down to one question. Are you going to play this at two player? If the answer is yes, then yes, it's worth the upgrade. But if no, and you're just wanting it for the components, I don't know if it's worth the money to upgrade. Because while the components are really nice and a quality of life improvement, I don't think it's worth spending 40 or $50 for them. But I just want to make a little remark that the two player version is probably that and the four player version are definitely the best ways to play this game. I was really surprisingly impressed with how they got the four-player experience into a two-player experience. And I think I've actually played this the most amount of times at two. So at the end of the day, we give Take the Acord Second Edition a one star. For those of you who are new to the channel, a one star means it is a recommendation, but don't go out of your way to try to spend a lot of money to get it. If you are interested in the genre, then it's definitely a recommend. Two star means that we find it to be an essential part of a collection. You should go out and try to find it. Don't pay out the wazoo for it, but it's definitely worth its price and maybe a little bit above to get it and try it out. Whereas three star is an absolute recommendation. It is essential. Play out the wazoo for it if you have to, because everybody should own a copy. And that is Take the A Chord with the second edition coming out in 2021. That is designed by Sashi, illustrated by Takako Takarai, and published by Sashi and Sashi. 
The next game we are going to talk about is a rare trick taker from Japan, but I enjoy it so much that I just had to talk about it, and I'm really sorry about it because if I'm doing my job right, I hope that some of you are going to be turned on to this game and go, wow, I really need to find it. And Lamb Dice is basically the opposite of Take the A Chord in every sense of the feeling that you have while playing it. While you're just sitting there and playing Take the A Chord, it's a bit stressful as you're trying to figure out what is the best play, when to play things, and the timing of everything. You're appreciating the complex design and how every mechanism comes together. And Lamb Dice, on the other hand, is just a pure enjoyable experience. It is a, a little bit of a luck fest, but it is also a completely fun trick takers. Let me explain how Lamb Dice works. So in Lamb Dice, the core of it is a very simple must follow trick taker. Every suit, and there's five suits of it, have the numbers two through nine, and whoever has the highest value at the end of the trick takes the trick. Okay, nothing super fancy there, but the selling point is the dice them selves because the dice have two functions. One is to change the color of the card that you are playing. So for example, if I put a green die down on the yellow card, well that card is no longer yellow, it is green. The second function is that it'll change the value of the card. Each card has two slots on it that make up its value, and some of the cards have a blank spot as one of the two values, and some of them have this echoey art, and that means that you can put a die from your hand down on the card. At the end of everybody putting down their cards and everybody putting down their die for that trick, those who put down a die will then roll their dice, and then you will evaluate who had the highest value down on the table. However, if there are dice down on the table, the winner of the trick will not only take the cards, they will take the dice. And the number of dice that they take is very important. Now, I want to back up just a second because you will start with five dice, one for each suit. But the first thing that you actually have to do in each round is you will take a look at your hand and use one of those five dice to bid on how many tricks you think you will win. Because at the end of the round, after either nine out of the 10 cards in a four player game or 10 of the 11 cards that you'll have in a three player game, once that many tricks have been played, you will then evaluate. If you met your bid, you get 10 points. Congratulations, you did it. However, the next thing that you will do is look at how many points you got from your tricks. You'll count the number of tricks that you won, and then you get a bonus multiplier that you'll multiply that by. However, the person who took the most dice during the round, well, your trick multiplier is zero, so you're scoring zero for your tricks. You might still score for hitting your bid, but those bonus points are not going to be with you. The person who took the second most dice will get a multiplier of one, Third most gets a multiplier of two, and fourth most gets a multiplier of three, meaning that the person who took the least amount of dice in a four-player game will get their trick score tripled, which might make up for the fact that they might not have hit their bid. And this just changes the way that you think about the game. It turns trick-taking on its head because you are weighing throughout the round what is more important to you. Is it important to meet your bid, or is it important to get the bonus multiplier? Or can you possibly make it so that you can reach your bid, but also screw somebody else over because you know that they need to hit their bid, and so they really want to win the next couple of tricks, so huh, why not just give them a few extra dice that they definitely don't want? 
We've seen lots of games try to mitigate bad hands in different ways. Some do different powers that the different cards have, with maybe the lower values of cards having stronger powers than the higher value cards to try to get people to play the lower value cards to the tricks. Or you have maybe the ability to bust, things like that. There's different ways, these different smarter ways really, to mitigate the luck that can happen when it never feels very good to be dealt a hand of all twos and threes and fours while somebody across the table from you has a bunch of nine, eights, and sevens. But (laughs) I think that the approach that Lamb Dice has is kind of silly because they basically said, okay, let's mitigate the luck by throwing in a bit more luck. It is a consistently funny, like seriously funny experience to see somebody who is so confident in their eight value, which is the second highest value in the game, lose out to somebody who played a five just because they rolled well. Like they just rolled a six. You know what? Are you even, can you even be mad about that? Because it's just luck at that point. And to me, it gives this overwhelming sense of fun to the game. There is no better word for me to use by it. We use all these different words to talk about all these trick takers that are coming out in the trick taking renaissance. This game is unique. I've never seen this before in a trick taking game. It's clever. It's something that I said in Take the Acord Second Edition. You can't help but appreciate how all of these different mechanisms work together beautifully. But at the end of the day, what Lamb Dice actually just feels like is fun. It's a game that I don't want to just bring out to people who I want to say, look at this amazing new trick taker that I have. I think you as a trick taker lover will love this. I mean, yes, I think if you like trick takers, you will probably like this, but it's just an enjoyable experience that I want to show people. It's this idea that like, hey, You might not even be that good at trick takers. You might not be somebody who wants to sit there and math out every single move. You might have been turned off by other trick takers that require you to do as such. But here is a game that I think can change how you feel about trick takers. This is not a very serious trick taker, although it does have some strategy. You'll definitely get better at it and read, okay, this is what die I should use to bid, and what can I learn, if anything, from what colors the other people chose to use as their bidding die. You'll learn how to use the different cards and what values um, you're allowed to put die on to change the value. You'll learn this the more games you play, but at the end of the day, it is a game in which I think people who are new to trick takers and people who are experienced with trick takers can enjoy. Now, there is one subset of trick taking players that I think won't enjoy this, and I think you probably already know if you're one of these people by now. Because if you're somebody who enjoys mathing out, you want to play that eight that I mentioned earlier and be confident that, yes, this is the card, this is the right moment that I got this to win the thing. I want to be 100% confident that I got this. I planned the perfect strategy. Well, that's just a very rare occurrence in this game. There's not too many tricks. And so people are going to be saving the dice for the right moment. They're going to see that okay, yeah, you mathed it out perfectly, so I'm going to screw you over in a different way. This game can be a bit mean if you have the mindset that people are being mean to you. If you're somebody who wants a serious trick taker, this one isn't going to be it. I think it is seriously good, but 
I think that the best games of this are ones in which you can laugh with your friends and just kind of go with the flow. Like you have a strategy going into the hand, but you know that it's going to go awry because somebody is just going to have an incredible roll of the dice or just really poor luck with (laughs) either way. If you go into it with the feeling, with the thought process of I'm just going to play a trick taker in which, yeah, there's a little bit more luck than other trick takers, but that is the selling point. That is a feature, not a bug. Well, I think you're going to enjoy this one. This one actually gets a two star from us. I think that this is an essential game. I have not played a trick taker in a long time. That just made me go at the end of the day. That was just an enjoyable game, not an enjoyable trick taker. I mean, yes, an enjoyable trick taker too, but an enjoyable game that I just want to show people. And that is Lamb Dice, designed by Chape, Kihaku, and Mikazuki, art by Kihaku and Mikazuki, and published by Asobi Dasto. The last game of the day that I want to talk about is Gang of Dice, a 2022 push your luck game by Reiner Knizia that is all about rolling dice. And I also want to take the opportunity after I'm done going over the game and what we think about it of asking the question like how many of these dice rolling push your luck games do you even need to have? And if so, like if multiple of them, then which ones? The central concept of the game is simple. There will be 12 rounds and during the round, whoever has the highest value of dice that they rolled, then they win the round. And the tiebreaker is whoever rolled the most dice, then they win. But the catch is that in each round, there is a category and it'll be something like rolling odd numbers or rolling more than a value of 10. And If you reach that condition, then your roll is invalid. You are out of the round. Now, there are a couple of wrinkles, one of which being that kind of like Yahtzee or King of Tokyo, you can choose to keep some of the dice you rolled and re-roll other things, and you can have a total of two re-rolls. But the other thing is that sometimes certain rounds and certain conditions will have the thing that if you ever meet the condition, it is immediately invalid, you are immediately out. Whereas others, you can meet the condition, but you can re-roll yourself out of it so that you don't meet the condition. At the end of 12 rounds, whoever has the most dice in their pool wins. And this is kind of the other thing that makes this game special, according to a lot of reviewers, is that you can roll as many dice as you want. You want to roll 10 dice and hope you don't meet the condition? Go for it. You want to roll 20 dice? Go for it. But, and here is where we kind of get into the review, this really doesn't happen. Like, it's a cool thing that theoretically it can happen, but you will never do it. Like, if you lose the round for rolling more than a value of 10, are you going to roll 20 dice? No, that would mathematically be impossible for you to win that round. And if you roll 20 dice and you lose, well, whoever wins the round gets everybody's dice that they rolled that round. So you're just giving the person basically 20 points. Are you going to do that? No. I have played something like 30, 40 games of this. I've tried it physically and I've tried it digitally on BGA. And the most that I have ever seen somebody roll in a single round is five. And that was only because somebody had rolled four and gotten pretty close to the category, like meeting the category, but they left a little bit of room. So it's like, okay, well, if we want to win this round, we better roll five because we are nearing the end of the game. So you might hear that as a selling point of this game, but know that probably not going to happen that often that you're going to be rolling that many die. But 
That aside, and I know that I keep flipping like dice and die, the plural and singular. I'm an English teacher, but man, dice and die are just like, well, anyway, um, I'm sorry if that's like your pet peeve. I'm, I'm really, really sorry. I'm trying my best. But that out of the way, like the fact that like there's that selling point that really doesn't come to fruition very often. That out of the way, I actually think that this game is really fun. It invites that sort of banter that you want to have in these kind of push your luck games, which is trying to goad your friends into making mistakes and being a bit too bold, a bit more hubris than they probably should have. And at the same time, if you're the one who makes a bold, maybe even stupid decision of rolling to die and you hit, like you actually don't meet the category, you don't bust, then it's that feeling of you deserved it just because, yeah, you did a little bit of something stupid, but you made it. Like, I'm not even mad. You did something that I didn't do. I was too conservative in my role. Go ahead and take my dice. The other thing is that you don't quite know how many dice the other players have. And so as it's nearing the end of the game and there's some bonus dice that you get in the last few rounds that you get the you get everybody's dice that they rolled on top of the bonus die, um, it crescendos into that end of the game where you do have people making more mistakes because you have that fear of, you know, I think I'm doing well or I don't think I'm doing well and I really want to win this game. So I'm just going to start rolling more dice and trying to get people to roll more dice of theirs so that I can hopefully come back and win. Or on the flip side, you're going to be more conservative, but then figure out that actually because of those bonus dice, you were comfortable But now the game is turned on its head. It keeps people engaged throughout all 12 rounds. The other thing is, is that there's not very many categories. So you're going to see the same categories from game to game. So you're going to start learning how exactly you should be able to do it. You'll start remembering like, oh yeah, I remember that 10 plus from last game and somebody rolled four dice and made it. Should I try rolling four dice on this one and try to make it? Because that's an almost unbeatable thing. But please don't get me wrong, this game is not strategically deep, and I think that's going to bring me to the next point, which is where does this fall in line with so many games that just the Board Game Dojo has recommended before? We have things like Martian Dice and Can't Stop, and our most recent review episode in which we talked about spots that just came out last year as well. So do I need to own multiple of these, and if so, which one of these most overlap? And I want to thank BGA user Exhausted Sage because we have played a lot of Gang of Dice and I'm pretty sure they are a savant at it and is one of the caveats of having this discussion because we were talking about, well, which one is really better, Spots or Gang of Dice? Do I really need to own both? And I actually think that Spots and Gang of Dice are not going after the same audience. They're not going after the same spot on your shelf. And yes, they are both dice-based push-your-luck games. So what really differentiates them? And trying to figure out a better way to really describe how I feel, but I really can't. I feel like Spots is more of a gamery push-your-luck game. There's more strategy involved because there are only so many tricks, and these tricks are what determines what actions you can do, and if somebody chooses one of those tricks, then until all of the tricks get reset, you can't do the same thing. It has this strategy of not only picking what you want, but picking what somebody else wants so that they can't do it. There is a sense of busting that you can do, but it's also in mitigating 
what the chances are of you busting. And it has more strategic depth. It feels more thinky, It's it, which is weird for like a push-your-luck game, but it is a quote-unquote smarter push-your-luck game. It would not surprise me if you told me, okay, Martian Dice, Spots, and Gang of Dice, what is going to be the highest rated on BGG in three years or even a year from now? And I would say, well, definitely Spots. Spots just feels like the gamer's push-your-luck game. Whereas, I think Gang of Dice is really going after the same spot on your shelf as Martian Dice or Can't Stop. And it is mostly just an atmospheric difference. I think Spots has that kind of goading your opponents into making mistakes, but it's a bit more methodical in what you're doing. You feel like you have a bit more control over every move that you make. You're pressing your luck, but you're doing it in a strategic way. You're doing it in the sense of, okay, I bust if I have more than seven. So I have six right now in my pool. Well, I think what I should do is I should use the trick that allows me to re-roll those three dice. And yeah, sure, you could re-roll the three dice and that equals more than seven. That will definitely happen. But it's a bit more trying to just mitigate the luck that you have, whereas Gang of Dice is all about just saying, okay, you know what? I'm gonna roll two dice this round and because I hope theoretically, I shouldn't hit the threshold. Theoretically, I shouldn't meet the category. And then you do. Or I'm going to roll three or four dice because it's fun. And you just want to do something stupid that round. Like, it is a lot more casual. Gang of Dice feels more casual. And you can see where I'm struggling differentiating these games. But I definitely think that there is a difference there. If I'm going to bring a game to somebody who has never played board games before, I am going to bring Gang of Dice. I think Spons has just a little bit too much going on there that I don't really want to teach the different rules that are in Spots. I don't want to have to teach what the different tricks are. Whereas Gang of Dice is just like, hey, this card literally says you roll more than 10, you're out. That's it. Go. And then we can do it every single round. That just feels a lot better. But if I was going to bring a push your luck game to a board game meetup, I would still bring Gang of Dice. I think it's fun. But I do think that the audience would probably appreciate spots more because there's a bit more meat on the bone there. But in its favor, if you were also going to ask me, okay, Martian Dice or Gang of Dice? Well, I think Gang of Dice like, completely wins it for me on that one. Um, if you were to ask me Can't Stop or Gang of Dice, that would be a harder comparison. But I think that that is where I can see the question being, do I need to own both of them being no. If you already own Can't Stop, then you probably don't need to own Gang of Dice as well. But if you were to ask me, hey, I already own Spot, do I need to own Gang of Dice as well? Well, first of all, I'd say like, no, you don't need to own pretty much anything. But I could much rather see, and that's probably what I'm going to end up doing, is saying I own Spots, I'm going to also own Gang of Dice. So at the end of the day, we are going to give Gang of Dice as well a one star. We do think that if you're looking for a push-your-luck game, that this one is really quite good. It's silly in the ways that you want it to be silly. It's easy to understand and quick to pick up. And I think it's a nice balance in my collection from maybe I don't bring spots next time, I will bring this instead. And that is Gang of Dice, published in 2022 by Korean publisher Mondu Games, designed by Reiner Knizia and art by Odang.
And that is going to be it for the first review episode in a while. I think I'm a bit out of practice. This was definitely a bit rambly, but thank you for hanging on for those who hung in there. Just a reminder that we are on Instagram and Twitter slash X. And we are also on YouTube. You can also contact us at Podcast at gmail.com. We read all of your messages, no matter how you message us, and we love talking to you. You are what makes this dojo a fun community. Thank you again for joining us. Arigatou gozaimasu. Until next time, jane. Ja